This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Uh, But we came down to Florida for family vacations. And when I was very young, I remember going fishing in Charlotte Harbor, Florida, and I caught my first shark. It was a little black tip shark. And I was just awed at this shark. Um, I wanted to know everything I could about sharks and um, and so from that moment on I was hooked and I had family who were very supportive and they said well you can make that into a career that's what you should do if you enjoyed that so much you should you should make that into a career uh, so I was very fortunate that I was I was able to do that um, went into the military so I could afford to go to college um, couldn't couldn't afford the college tuition, so um, I went, served uh, four years in the Navy to earn the GI Bill, and then I went to Texas A&M Galveston, got an amazing education in marine fisheries, um, and really, really um, solidified my passion for wanting to get into shark conservation research, um, but outreach and education as well. So all the things that I had learned, I wanted to... Um, teach myself how to teach that to other people as well all right welcome back everybody we have got my good friend tanya wiley on the show today and we're going to talk about something that most of you have probably never heard of and that is the sawfish and hopefully by the end of the show you're going to learn a lot about sawfish and ways that you can get involved to help them um, help tanya's research and all the cool stuff that she does down in florida um, and and be a part of, of helping recover this species in, in, in the United States and, and further. So we learn a, a whole lot about them and a lot of different different aspects about the conservation world and, and uh, where things stand today with with um, you know people looking to go into this field and, and, and how to get jobs and things like that and and conservation um, aspects of not just sawfish but sharks rays fish everything you can think of so can't wait for you guys to listen to this episode and let's get right to it so let's welcome tony to the show all right 
Well, hello. Hello. I am sitting here in, we're still in Florida this week, and uh, knocking these podcasts out, and uh, I had to come all the way over here to do this with you. I couldn't do it over the internet, and mm-hmm. since we didn't have camp, but I, I'm sitting here with my good friend, Tanya, on Terracia Bay here in southern Tampa Bay. How are you doing? I am doing great, Derek. I'm doing great. Good this, to see you. How is, are you? It's great to see you. I'm doing good. So, on the, I guess, a mini vacation. Don't tell my wife, but <laughs> but um, she won't think I, I am. So, but um, but yeah, it's been good, and uh, I wanted to do this with you and um, talk to you about something that you are instrumental in the study of, which is sawfish. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who have no idea what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. but hopefully after this show, they'll know a lot more and uh, we'll know some more about you and how you went down this path uh-huh. to, uh, to, in my opinion, becoming probably one of the leading biologists in the world on this species. Um, so why don't you um, just kind of give us a little bit of background about, you know, where you, how you got into conservation growing up, your passion Kay. for the outdoors and stuff, and then... Uh, We'll get into this uh, very interesting animal. Mm -hmm. Well, I was very fortunate to grow up outdoors. So I grew up hunting and fishing and uh, grew up in Michigan and Fort Worth area. Uh, But we came down to Florida for family vacations. And when I was very young, I remember going fishing in Charlotte Harbor, Florida, and I caught my first shark. It was a little black tip shark. Yeah. And I was just awed at this shark. Um, I wanted to know everything I could about sharks, and um, and so from that moment on, I was hooked, and I had family who were very supportive, and they said, well, you can make that into a career. That's what you should do. <laughs> if you enjoyed that so much, you should you should make that into a career. Uh, so I was very fortunate that I was, I was able to do that. Um, went into the military so I could afford to go to college. Nice. Um, couldn't, couldn't afford the college tuition, so um, I w- served uh, four years in the Navy to earn the GI Bill, and then I went to Texas A&M Galveston, got an amazing education in marine fisheries, um, and really, really um, solidified my passion for wanting to get into shark conservation research, um, but outreach and education as well. So. Mm-hmm. All the things that I had learned, I wanted to um, teach myself how to teach that to other people as well. Right. And you're very good at it. Oh, well, I'll thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, uh, and you can throw in any Aggie, whatever Always. y'all do. And and let me just say that the Houston Astros are on TV right now, but we're we're filming, we're recording the podcast. Well, you know, we'll hopefully be in there to watch it when they... Uh, I'll make their eventual comeback and come back and win the series. <laughs> so, apparently, at least they won one game yes. last night. So. We're the only two people in Tampa Bay right now rooting for the Astros. That's kind of what I was thinking mm-hmm. uh, driving around town because I've drove by their baseball stadium like every day I've been here so far. Yes. So, and uh, <laughs> I figured they were having like a uh, um, watch parties or something around the stadium, maybe, or even, you know, I know they're doing mm-hmm. some of that in Houston. Mm-hmm. But, um,. I'm sure they yep. are somewhere, but, uh, <laughs> you know, Houston's got a, this has just been a weird year all around, oh my but, gosh. Uh, you know, I don't know, the Astros, everybody knows all the drama they were in, but yes. here we are going down another rabbit hole about right. baseball now, but, uh, <laughs> Always. anyway, we'll get back to, 
to A and M Galveston. <laughs> yes. So wh- when did you graduate there? Nineteen ninety eight. Nice. Yep. And uh, um, wow, twenty two years ago. Yep. Yep. So <laughs> we're getting old. <laughs> we are getting old. <laughs> so. So you you uh, you got out of A and M Galveston, mm-hmm. and then where did you end up? Uh, the first thing I did after graduation was go to South Africa to do an internship on white sharks in Hans by South Africa, um, and so that um, you know gave me some good field skills that I needed. Um, and then when I got back to the states, I was kind of in that weird position where. Um, you can't get a job because you don't have the skills and you can't get the skills until you get a job. Yep. Um, so I was taking every job I could possibly find, temporary jobs, volunteering everywhere I could. Um, and I actually took a job working on freshwater fish in Oregon. Mm-hmm. So I did that for six months over the summer, um, researching uh, Klamath suckerfish in Oregon and doing an inventory of the fish in, um, in the Klamath River. And then um, after that, I got a job, my first job with Texas Parks and Wildlife at the Redfish Hatchery in Corpus Christi. All right. That was my in with Parks and Wildlife. Yeah. Yeah. That's where we met. That's where we met. Yeah. So, um, what was it? Uh, well, let's back up and go. So, you mentioned white sharks. So I got to ask because everybody's going to be interested in this. So, <coughs> what kind of... Uh, experiences did you have over there in Hans Bay because I mean I've seen some of the other work like O-Search and some other people went over there and done and stuff and know that's a really big hot spot mm-hmm. but it was and you know when I went that was 1998 and 99 um, and it was really during the height of the boom of the tourist cage diving mm-hmm. industry over there as well um, but oh my gosh that was just I mean that was incredible that was like you know a dream to be over there right out of college um already doing what i wanted to do being on a boat seeing sharks um so you know we would get the sharks next to the boat estimate the length uh we'd be in the cage to um you know determine the sex and again Mm -hmm. estimate the length and record um take pictures of them um oh my gosh so it was just we were tagging them with a with a pole tagger okay. yep, from the from the boat so they yep. could visually maybe visually see it yep it an external tag yeah. yep yeah did they have um you know, the technology now is crazy oh that's why they're watching these sharks now mm-hmm. in real time but back then i mean <laughs> i'm not trying to make it sound really old but um it's so like did they have the like the psat tag like the satellite tag nope. technology at all back then not that we remember. were using back then no they we were using these tags that were they're about the size of a business card and they were laminated plastic and they just had a big number on them with the dart tag and so the shark would swim by we had it on you know like a broom handle mm-hmm. um and tag it at the base of the dorsal fin with that so that 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 tag would be you know streaming beside the shark when it was swimming but just had a big num- yeah. I- id number on it if it breaks the surface yep. you could and so it. when someone else would see it or if we would see it again then we'd be like oh that was shark k13065 whatever so old school then you got to go look in the book yeah. and find that now tag number your phone i mean the way technology has changed it's amazing but no back then everything was uh you know analog yeah. and on paper and pencil <laughs> huh. i didn't know you worked over there that's cool so they uh um i mean we've tagged a lot of sharks at work it's not not easy did y'all ever have them come by the boat and not be able to get them we did yes yes you got to hit them at just the right angle or you oh. know it just bounces off and you know their fins pretty 
their skin, skin is pretty yeah. thick when they're uh, that size. So. Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah. So, <laughs> and these sharks that y'all are tagging, I'm assuming they were, you know, mature, like 12 to three to five meters. I would say, yeah, feet long or so. Yeah. I'm talking about fish over a. Thousand, two thousand right. pounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine it. It would. Uh, it was pretty spectacular. It would be really yep. cool to see one of those guys. So maybe one day I'll have to um, get on a boat where I can go do that. So Guadalupe Island. Yeah. Yeah. Our. Uh, I think that's where uh, our friend uh, Chester Moore. I think he went and dove down there. I think so. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's where yep. he had his. You know, and that's kind of controversial, the cage diving stuff, you know, because you are, it's like feeding an alligator. I mean, you're like basically turning these things into, not pets, but training them, you know. And um, Yeah, you definitely want to make sure who you go with is a responsible operator, mm-hmm. following all the rules. Yeah. So, where did that lead to? Because I know you did some work at Moat and... Yes. Um, so, I was at the fish hatchery in Corpus Christi uh, for... A while, a year or so. Um, And then I actually, very briefly, went to Rockport and worked with the Corpus Christi Bay Ecosystem, um, doing the fisheries independent monitoring that Derek does. Mm -hmm. Um, We're still pretty much doing the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) And so even, you know, I still back then, I wanted to work with sharks. That's what I wanted to do. And... um, a job had posted at Moat Marine Laboratory in Sarasota, Florida, working on black tip sharks. Um, so I actually came out to Florida and interviewed for that job, and I didn't get that job. I was uh, floor. I just couldn't believe that I didn't get that job. I thought mm-hmm. I did so good, such so good on the interview, and I thought, you know, there's no one in the world more passionate about sharks than me. You know, um, says every it says every person wanting out. every job exactly. Yeah. But you know, you you think you know. I've read every book. I've seen every movie. I've, you know, I've watched every Shark Week episode <laughs> back when you know it was good. Um, and uh, so I thought, I can't believe they didn't hire me for that. Well, um, so I went back to Rockport, was working for the um, ecosystem monitoring team, and um, and then a few months later, I got a call uh, from somebody else at Moat um, and said that they were starting up a a research project on sawfish, and they remembered me from the interview, and um, they wanted to interview me for that job. Um, and I said, "Oh my gosh, you know, I What's thank you, thank you, but um, I don't know anything about sawfish." <laughs> um, and and that was kind of you know really nobody did. There hadn't been any directed research on sawfish prior to that. This was all back in in two thousand one. Um, and you know, so normally when you want to learn about an animal, you um, read all you know the journal articles that are published about it you, you look up all the literature on them well in the u.s there wasn't research on sawfish so we were kind of starting at the beginning so um when i said i don't know anything about sawfish they said well you know we need someone to run a field project we need someone to get on a boat go find sawfish tag them track them mm-hmm. do it you know learn we're starting from scratch learn everything you can and so I said, well, now that I can, I can run a field project. I, yeah. I can go, I can go fish and I can go find things. So, uh, yeah, I packed up everything I owned and I moved from Rockport, Texas to uh, Sarasota, Florida back in 2001 um, and started, you know, I, like I said, we didn't know anything about sawfish, so I really didn't know what, how to catch them. I didn't know what gear to use. I didn't know where to go to catch sawfish. So I started talking to fishermen, uh, you know, commercial fishermen, and I started um, looking in, in old at 
old newspapers and magazines and just trying to get an idea of where people were catching sawfish, when they were catching sawfish, how they were catching them, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in early 2001, we started the the field program on sawfish. And um, so I kind of got into it. I, you know, had interviewed um, well for the wrong job, but... Uh, left a good enough impression like that I got that job and now I can't imagine doing anything else you yeah. know I've been doing it now for almost 20 years and um, yeah now it's just part of me and I, I just can't you know I, I, I do research on sharks there are, there are other projects that I do but uh, you know I'm, I'm just so passionate about sawfish and it's it's so amazing to be part of a project where there's still so many questions and when we learn something mm-hmm. it's so valuable for management um, so valuable to help us save these animals from going extinct. So it's it's awesome. I, I feel very blessed and I feel very fortunate and I still feel like I get paid to do my hobby. You know, I grew up fishing with my dad, with my grandpa. Um, they're the ones that said you should do this for a living and I feel like I am yep. and that I'm, I'm just so lucky because I enjoy it so much. Yeah. It's fun when you uh, like your work. It is. So it, it makes it not so hard to get up at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So, and so um, you know, I, I first learned about sawfish. I had never heard of them before until I moved to Texas. And I'd been here for quite a while before I actually, um, I think I seen the one at Sea Center, maybe. I think that was the one. The, 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 the sawfish the, rostrum. The rostrum, yep. yeah. And the. Um, I was like, what the heck is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, looked into it and then, um, you know, after meeting you and stuff and then all the stuff we've done the last few years with the brigades program, which we'll get into, um, you know, we don't have them anymore and they're gone. They are not in Texas. At least that anybody has documented since what the it's, it, We get a few, well, we g- um, let me back up a little bit. So we used to have two species of sawfish in the United States, the large tooth sawfish and the small tooth sawfish. Um, the large tooth sawfish and the small tooth sawfish were at one time found in Texas waters. Right. Um, unfortunately, in the United States, we have lost the large tooth sawfish. So the last one reported in Florida here where we are right now was in the 40s. Um, the last one we have documented in all of the United States was in Texas in 1960-something. So it's been 60 years since mm-hmm. there's been a report of a large tooth sawfish in, in all of the United States. So um, I, I think one, one or two of the rostra at Sea Center um, are depicting the large tooth species. Yeah. And um, now the small tooth sawfish, the other species that we do still have in the U.S., um, that one used to be found from Texas to Florida and up to North Carolina, and now it's predominantly found in southwest Florida. Um, we do occasionally get reports of that species from Texas. So Texas Parks and Wildlife, for example, caught one in the 80s. Um, and we have had some reports from fishermen of sawfish sightings, one at San Luis Pass a few years ago, for mm-hmm. example, one down in Lower Laguna Madre. Um, so they're very, very rare. Um, but for the most part... We've never you know, seen one no. at work. I know that. No. So. I, I, yeah, that's how rare I'm they are. I mean, they're rare They're that, rare here in Florida. You know, yep. So they're even more rare over there in Texas. But um, So yes, we've, we've already lost one species of sawfish here in the U.S. And... Um, the small tooth sawfish is an endangered species. It was listed as endangered in 2003. Um, and so, you know, the, the south tip of Florida 
is Everglades National Park. It's a, a huge national park, natural habitat, no commercial fishing pressure in there. Um, and so I think while we lost the large tooth species, the small tooth species had that refuge mm -hmm. in South Florida. So um, I think, you know, Everglades National Park helped save that species for us here um, and is very important for us to maintain in order to recover that species. But, um, you know, so part of part of my job working on sawfish and my colleagues who are working on sawfish with us um, is to learn everything we can about them to learn how to manage them and, you know, learn how to restore them. We, you know, we, we want, we want to recover sawfish. We want there to be sawfish back in Texas again. Yep. I would love for there to be a population of sawfish in Houston so I can move back home. Yeah, not and, just at and, the you know. <laughs> downtown aquarium restaurant. Right? Exactly. Not, yeah. not, yeah. Yeah, exactly. In the wild. In the wild. You know, that'd be great. I've got amazing old photographs that I can give you um, of, uh, you know, the humongous sawfish that people used to catch off the Galveston jetties, yeah. for example. Um, the some Texas some City Dyke. Like 16, you know. 17 feet long. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, the problem was that we, that we humans, when we started, you know, mass fishing with nets, uh, sawfish are very easily caught in nets. Um, and, you know, nets are the commercial fishermen's livelihood, so they're not, they don't want to cut their net to get these animals out, so most of the animals were killed in order to remove them from the nets. Um, the fishermen, a lot of them would keep the saws as mm -hmm. trophies or curios, and that's how we see them um, in various places, because so many kept the saws. Um, so they, they show up in bars and tackle stores and at, you know, museums. Movies. Movies. <laughs> one was in the Batman. Yeah, the Batman, Batman has too, one in his, in his yeah. apartment. Yep, the yeah. point... The Point Break Party House has one in there. Jaws, Quint's cabin. He's got two of them in there. Um, and so, uh, where was I going? Lost my train of thought. Oh, when we right. got when we got off on Batman and uh, and Jaws, fault. but that's all right. Um, what? And I think you were talking about the overfishing part and, and the, the depredation of the species being eliminated because of of that issue you know there's also a lot of other factors that go into that i assume with the gestation period of you know their reproduction cycle you know and and yes how old they have to be before they can even reproduce yes thank you for pointing me back on track um yes so um you know we we humans were taking more sawfish out of the population than they were able to put back in so when we looked at all these historic photos of people who we you know fishing from the Galveston jetties or down in in Everglades National Park in Florida um, you know because it was such a trophy um, they would keep the animals for the photographs um, you know they were big sport fish so um, but uh, sawfish Unlike bony fish, like a redfish or a trout that spawn thousands of eggs, um, sawfish give live birth to fully formed, fully developed um, little miniature sawfish that are about mm -hmm. two feet long. Um, and they only have about a dozen uh, pups is what we call them. And sawfish have to be, you know, almost 10 feet long before they even start reproducing, yeah. <laughs> which is amazing. You know, that's seven or eight years old. Um, and so, you know, you do all that math and you see some of these historic photos of, of people out on a fishing trip and they would catch 30 sawfish in a day and they would keep them all. Um, or, you know, the old log books from like inshore mullet fishermen who would, you know, catch hundreds of sawfish in a season. Um, and, you know, they kind of felt about 
uh, sawfish, how we now feel about catfish in our work as mm-hmm. doing fisheries independent monitoring. Um, and so very few sawfish um, would survive the interaction with humans back then. Um, and so when you combine that with um, the low reproductive potential of sawfish, like I said, we were taking more out of the population than they were able to put back in. Um, and so we completely wiped out one species and, and fished the other one on, uh, you know, on the verge of extinction, unfortunately, um, which is, you know, quite sad. And, um, but we're, we're keyed in on sawfish here, but I mean, this is very relevant to all sharks and ray species. They're all pretty much in the same, mm-hmm. not same situation, you know, in abundance, but, but, um, you know, a lot of the shark species are heavily misidentified yes. and the, you know, mm-hmm. the maturity ages are vastly different in certain species. And right. that's the biggest problem I see in, in Texas, you know, with the stuff that I do at work is right. trying to show people how to ID these fish, you know, cause most people don't care. It's not that nope. they don't care. I guess they just don't know and they don't educate right. themselves. And right. they're just going to keep whatever, whatever. It's a shark, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure it's the same. It's like, I don't blame these people for doing Absolutely this back not. then because they didn't know any difference. Well, it was kind of a, it it was a different known mentality them, back then. You know? It's like, oh, the, you know, the oceans are are vast and endless resources. You know, we thought back in the day, you know, how many other species that we've we've totally fished out, you mm-hmm. know, that are trying to rebound. But, you know, sawfish are, are good um, species to look at as as justification for fisheries management. Why we need fisheries management? You know why why there are limitations on how many of a species people can catch or when they can catch them, or what size something has to be. Uh, you know, so you look at sawfish, and and it really is a good story to use an exa- as an example of of why it's so important to have fisheries management. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Um it is cool. I mean, you'll see videos, you know, I think you'll see two or three a year where somebody will hook one, you know, over mm-hmm. here on <laughs> rod and reel, you know, usually mm-hmm. snagging it or something mm-hmm. and then uh, um, fighting this thing and, you know, it's like, oh, man, I already know what it is. <laughs> And, you know, the good thing we've, we've learned from our research is that sawfish are pretty hardy. You know, there's some species of sharks like a hammerhead that, that don't survive being caught and released yeah, very well. Yeah, they do not do good. Um, but sawfish, are, are they're very hardy. They're a ray. They're actually a type of ray, even though they mm-hmm. look like a shark with a hedge trimmer on the end of them. But, you know, they're a type of ray, so, um, you know, they, they can sit on the bottom and still breathe, for example. Um, and so what we've learned through the research is that sawfish are pretty hardy and they can survive an interaction with a human, um, whether that be in a net or on a fishing line, um, as long as they're released, you know, yeah, that's released, handled properly and released, you know. Um, so if you leave it in the water while you're, you know, untangling it from your cast net uh, or you leave it in the water while you're cutting the hook uh, or cutting the line as close to the hook as possible. Uh, you know, the good thing is that those sawfish are, go- are going to survive. So, uh, you know, to, to bring it back around to the outreach and education part of it that I enjoy so much um, is talking with anglers about proper handling and release techniques uh, because, you know, in order to recover this species and get them back outside of southwest Florida, uh, we have to ensure that they survive uh, being caught um, and so we do a lot of outreach. We have a lot of materials that I gave you that we, um, you know, distribute to fishermen. Um, and also divers. Divers are seeing them a lot um, now off the uh, east coast of Florida. 
Um, but we also, one of the amazing things is that we, we get so much good information from the citizens who see sawfish or catch mm-hmm. sawfish. Um, you know, they, they multiply our observa- observational effort, uh, you know, tremendously um, so to really give us a good picture of what's happening in the water. Um, so when fishermen report um, that they caught a sawfish or saw a sawfish, um, you know, that, that helps us target our field surveys, but it also helps us um, monitor our efforts, our research efforts, our management efforts to see if sawfish are returning to some areas where they previously inhabited um, and to see what threats are still um, um, affecting the population. So we really appreciate when people call us or visit the website uh, to let us know when they catch or see a sawfish. That's yeah. an, another big... Yeah, citizen science. Citizen science, yeah. At its best. <laughs> so. It is, it is, yep. Um what what do sawfish eat? Good question. And I wish everybody could see a sawfish right now. Yeah. So hopefully well, we'll they'll... Maybe if we can find some videos, so maybe we can um, yep. post a link to Absolutely. the show notes. Um, I mean, most people know what a ray looks like and know what a, st- what, what a stingray's mouth looks like. But um, So because sawfish are, are a ray, their mouth is very similar to that of a stingray. But uh, they feed mostly on fish. Um, and so their saw, which we call a rostrum that sticks out the front of their head, um, they actually use that to detect um, fish. Uh, so the, the underside of that saw is lined with these pores, and there are these two canals um, that, that run the length of it um, that will send um, you know, these signals that there's fish there. Mm-hmm. So they, they use that for finding their food. Um, and you know, so one of the problems with fishermen... Um, back in the day and currently is if they would cut that saw off to keep the saw as a trophy and then throw the rest of the animal back. But now that animal's lost its ability to find food. Um, and so, unfortunately, most of those animals probably starve to death. But have y'all ever, has anybody ever caught one without it? Yes, we do. We, we get a number of pictures every year uh, from sawfish that have uh, had their saw removed, unfortunately. And they're yep. still swimming? They're still swimming. I mean, yep. I've heard a, yep. I mean there's every once in a while. I had a friend who caught a, a sailfish off Galveston a few years ago. It didn't have a bill. Oh, wow. You know, <laughs> that's <laughs> wow. just very weird looking. Yeah. I mean, they must have to revert to, you know, scavenging um, mm-hmm. things off the bottom, which is probably how fishermen catch them. But, but yeah, we've, you know, we see, we, you know, unfortunately, we see, uh, you know, photographs somewhat regularly of, of sawfish that have had their um, roster removed. They kind of look like giant guitar fish at that point because they don't have the saw anymore. Um, but, yeah, they're, you know, more than likely going to, to slowly starve to death without that ability to find food, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, this <laughs> you want to think about that thing being taken off of them and throwing them back in the water so and we it's not like a crab it's not going to grow its claws it is, back it's not going to grow back that that yes that's very true so um you know the, the teeth on the side of the saw are like our fingernails they grow continuously throughout the life of the animal but the you know so the sawfish can break a tooth while it's feeding and and that tooth will grow back um but yeah you cut the saw off the, the whole saw is not going to grow back mm-hmm. unfortunately so so um so on the research you've done here in, f- in Florida and with others, like, um, I'm assuming, you know, y'all are, the ones that y'all have encountered, you're tagging them stuff. I mean, how many roughly do you think y'all have encountered since you've been, since you moved back over here to actually? Um, I think now, um, 
we have several hundred individuals with tags on them or in them now. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you were mentioning earlier with the tracking tags, um, yeah. technology's come a long way even just yeah. since I've been here working on Sawfish. So, um, you know, now we do the, um, you know, the internal transmitters that allow us to track those animals when they're picked up by the, the hydrophone receivers that are deployed mm-hmm. in the water. So we use those. Um, we have used um, satellite tracking tags. Um, with limited success because sawfish are a ray and they spend most of their time on the bottom. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the tags that you require to break the surface of the water, like that are used on tigers and some uh, turtles and some uh, white sharks, those don't work very well on sawfish because mm-hmm. uh, they don't break the surface of the water. So we have used some of the, um, the archival satellite tags on sawfish, and we've gotten some really good data from those, but those are quite expensive. <laughs> Um, those are ones that'll come off the the fish after yes, a certain period of time. Record the data for a certain period of time and then pop off and and, and send relay. that information to the satellite. So we got some really good um, data from those, but those are quite expensive. So um, we've moved now more heavily to using the um, the transmitters um, that we uh, surgically implant in in the body cavity of the sawfish. Um, and then use those acoustic receivers that people have from, I mean, they're, they're everywhere now from different people tracking sharks and bonefish and tarpon and yeah, snook. We've and got a, a huge you know. project in Galveston that um, Jay Rooker and David Wells uh-huh. guys are, are, are doing over there utilizing all the different uh, receivers and stuff. And the, they're yeah. not just tagging sharks, they're tagging all kinds of stuff. Right. And I think yep. this year they're, um, they're starting to do alligator gar, which is something I've always wondered yeah. Where these alligator gar, because uh-huh. I never knew there would be that many in Galveston mm-hmm. since it's a, you know, saltwater environment, but mm-hmm. uh, I mean, there alligator gar everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the good thing about the receivers is that, you know, all the scientists who are using the receivers, you know, we've developed these collaborative networks where, you know, because uh, my tagged animals aren't going to swim just on my receivers, they're going to mm-hmm. swim into, into other people's arrays. Um, and so when... Dr. Rooker hears an animal on his array, one of his receivers, um, you know, we have these networks where you can share those data so that when you hear other people's animals, uh, they can still get those data and vice versa. So, um, you know, I hear other people's animals on, on, you know, snook and redfish and uh, other things on my receivers. So the great thing is that because there's so many people using them now that, you know, like I said, basically every bay system in the Gulf of Mexico and even, you know, up the Atlantic, there's so many receivers in the water now that really using those um, long-term acoustic tags mm-hmm. is really the way to go for us, for sawfish. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, if only we'd been around mm-hmm. 60 years ago <laughs> with this technology. I know. And, and you know, and th- what's it going to be like in 20 years? You know, it's come so far in the last 20 years. I, you know, can only imagine how, how amazing have something you can sit right here from your, from your mm-hmm. backyard and just look into and it'll just show you. I mean, I already got the uh, the live view uh, transducers and stuff now. That you can basically identify the fish by species right. on in front of you, and oh. and uh, yeah. yeah, there's there's no telling. That'll be awesome. So, <laughs> yeah. hopefully one day. I mean, I mean, I think the ultimate goal. I mean, like like for you is to have them back. You know, in their native range. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it would be cool to see them. To be able to get them into uh, possibly even like a, a hatchery environment where they could yeah. somehow do that. I don't know if there's any hatchery work on any of the other 
That is something that we have discussed. It's kind of, you know, one option on a long-term plan. Um, You know, but part of the problem is that, uh, you know, sawfish have to be 10 feet long before they start reproducing. So you need a huge facility to hold these animals. Mm -hmm. Um, And they have very few young. They'll have, you know, 10 or 12 pups. Um, And so you're, you're investing a lot of money and resources into that. Um, And there's only, you know, Atlantis in the Bahamas is the only facility that's had sawfish that have uh, given birth um, in, in a captive environment. Um, So there's still a lot we'd have to learn about that. But the biggest problem right now would be removing animals from the wild to put into a hatchery. You know, Mm -hmm. every animal out there in the wild right now is so valuable that um, we wouldn't want to remove any to put into a hatchery situation. Or similarly, um, to reestablish a population. You know, that's another thing on our long-term goals is let's take some sawfish from uh, Florida. And next year when I go to Texas, I take them with me and... You yeah. know, repopulate Galveston Bay that way, but right now we're not comfortable enough taking any out of the population. So I know here. somebody's going to ask. You know, it's like, um, where do these places get these live that are in tanks? Mm-hmm. You know, like I mean, we mentioned like downtown aquarium yep. in Houston, and yes, and, um, I know there's Sea World the, in Orlando. I think, um, I think maybe the aquarium up in Tulsa even has one, possibly. I think they do. Yep, there's about a dozen mm. uh, aquariums in here in the U.S. that have them. Um, Shed Aquarium in Chicago. Um, SeaWorld in Orlando has a couple that they've had since the 80s. They came from Florida. Um, there used to be one in Galveston at that um, water park that used to exist on the seawall oh, yeah, yeah, years yeah. and years and yeah, years ago. Not they there anymore. used to have a sawfish. Um, I forgot the name of it. Yeah, me too. Waterama or something like that. I think a, a aqua aquarama. That's maybe? it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so now a lot of the a lot of the sawfish that are in facilities now have been there for decades prior to protections being put into place, um, or there was a supplier in Australia that was um, that was able to collect some animals from the Australian population <laughs> um, to sell them to aquariums, um, and then like I said, Atlantis has had they've actually had. Uh, two litters of sawfish born there in captivity and they have they have four of the offspring there as well still so they've got four adults and four of the offspring but uh, but the animals that are here in the U.S. now are animals that have been here for mm-hmm. quite a while. Um, so just kind of grandfathered in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah but can't get it can't take any out of the U.S. population now uh, to put in, a, in an exhibit now so we're um, uh, Georgia Aquarium is another one that mm-hmm. has uh, some sawfish there, um, but a lot of a lot of the ones that um, Las Vegas Mandalay Bay has some. Um, a lot of them, the ones that are in the exhibits, are from the Australian species, mm-hmm. uh, but the ones at SeaWorld did come from Florida back in the eighties. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. Six, eight Western. Oh, I'm ill there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Interesting. So, I, I knew, I remember um, when you uh, when you were still over in Texas, um, you, know, you were collecting a lot of DNA samples. And um, I know hopefully there's some people here listening that might mm-hmm. be interested in helping out with that that have some of these and maybe yes. don't want to publicly say yeah. that they have them <laughs> but um you know maybe they can you know we'll you know we'll have your contact info yes. on here but uh 
Yes, absolutely. What can so, y'all get out of that? Yeah, so all those, uh, the saws, the rostra that the fishermen kept back in the day. Um, yes, we can actually get DNA from that, from you know where that saw was cut from the head. We can get uh, genetic material out of that. Um, and we can actually send people a kit. They can do it themselves. Yeah. Um, it's pretty easy. You just take a scraping out of there, take a photograph and some measurements of it. But, um, but yes, we have colleagues at um, LSU and um, University of Mississippi. Mississippi, who are, there's several projects that they're working on, but um, one of them is to look at how many different populations of sawfish there used to be historically. So we can get that from those isolated rostra. We can get the genetic diversity of the populations and, you know, find out for small tooth sawfish, for example, was there a, was there a separate population of sawfish west of the Mississippi mm-hmm. and a separate population east of the Mississippi River? Um, so would we ever expect our current population that we have in Florida to, to naturally reestablish in Texas? Or was there always some barrier to them um so um, you know amazing things that we can get uh just from that but when you look at the genetic diversity of the population historically and currently um so yeah if anybody has a a sawfish rostrum or sees one anywhere um they can visit our website or call our phone number also the website sawfishrecovery.org and the phone number is 844-4-SAWFISH. Um, and like I said, we can send anyone a kit to get a scraping from that themselves. Um, or we've got scientists uh, willing to travel to get that as well. So yeah. a lot of valuable information that we can get from those uh, isolated rostrum. Yeah, and that's a cool way people can get involved, you know, with this yes. project and uh, um, be a part of it. So, But important yes. that they don't try to sell them because they are, it is an endangered species. So selling um, parts of an endangered species like a, a sea turtle shell um, is illegal. So, um, so there's no blackmailing you with uh, genetic um, <laughs> samples for... For money, uh, so no, um, no we have we have permits to cover getting the genetic sample and shipping those, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But once they if they have it like now, it, there's nothing. Nobody's going right. to come and take it from. I think that's right. what you know might be uh, mm-hmm. make people s- somewhat apprehensive about right. some of this right. stuff. You know, like. No, because you know most people are like I. I got this from my grandfather, yeah. or this has been in my uncle's house yeah, since the seventies, or yeah, or I was a shrimper back in the sixties, and and I have these forty rostra um, mm-hmm. that we collected back then. Uh, but yeah, possessing yeah. them now. Yeah. yeah. So if you're listening mm-hmm. and you have one of these. Please contact Tanya. Please. Yes, that would be amazing. <laughs> yes, or see one, like I said, or if you see one in a bar or a restaurant, yeah. or you go to play poker at your friend's house and they've got one in you know their man cave. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they're very popular for decoration. Um, I have a lot of pictures from you know bait shops and boat rental facilities and bars in Clear Lake that had uh, sawfish roster up there as decorations. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, that's neat, and uh, hopefully, hopefully somebody will contact yeah, you from this. Great. So that'd be yeah, cool. Thanks. So, well, um, so you guys just finished up your sampling for uh, for this area right now. Is that what you were saying earlier? Uh, um, I finished or? up my shark sampling. Yes. So we um, another thing that I do is um, it's called Gulf Span, which stands for Gulf of Mexico Shark Pupping and Nursery Survey. 
Um, and so that's a survey that we do every April through October. It's a monthly survey that we do. Um, we do it here in Terracia Bay and in Manatee River. Um, and there's several colleagues around the Gulf of Mexico that do that same survey using the same methodology mm-hmm. so that we can compare um, the catch rates and the species composition um, across the geographic area. But uh, yeah, we go out every month and catch baby sharks. Don't sing the song. Um, <laughs> and so for us, it's to see, you know, when the sharks are being born, what what temperatures and salinities we're finding them in, what habitats we're finding in, what species we're finding in different areas. So, uh, so yes, we do that uh, monthly from uh, April through October. Just finish that up. Yeah, and we're sitting yep. here looking at your research yes. boat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you just walk out in the backyard, drop your boat in the water, and yep. go catch sharks. And I'm already at my first sampling station right here in Terracia Bay, which nice. is amazing. Yep. So, yep. it always seems like the weather's perfect when I come over <laughs> here. And back home, it's never good <laughs> when I'm on the water, you know. <laughs> of course, last year we got ran off from here. We were here during ICAST, and uh, I don't even remember which storm it was, but one of them tropical storm Barry, I think blew up and uh made us make a run back to houston so yes. we didn't get stuck on the east side of it yes. so we we got mm. uh, a, a lot of the upgrades that you see here at the house are because of hurricane irma mm-hmm. which hit us a few years ago and caused us to have to do a lot of home right repairs after harvey hit us it was yeah so yes yeah that was a bad year this one's been a really bad year for louisiana for a different reason so, yes yeah, and everything else that's gone on yeah um how's the uh coronavirus affected your work this year because i know it's made a huge impact uh it's it's been a struggle so we we did lose the first couple months of our sampling while we were trying to establish protocol safety protocols and and figure out if we could even safely do it a lot of the work that i do is with um college students and so we were uh you know had to work under the restrictions of the colleges as well but um you know normally one of the things I love about the field work is that I always take volunteers. I have, I have new people every time I go out, mm-hmm. take volunteers. Like, you know, you were going to go out with me. Um, but this year, because of the coronavirus, we had to operate under very strict, uh, in a bubble, very strict uh, COVID-19 protocols. Um, you know, we all had to wear face coverings the whole summer on the boat, which most of us do anyway. Most of us wear buffs anyway yeah. because of the Florida heat. <laughs> so sun, like, that, yeah. that part wasn't wasn't quite so bad for us. But, um, yeah, so instead of having, uh, you know, new students rotate through every semester, um, we had the same students the entire season um, and, and had to operate in that very strict bubble and not not able to take volunteers with us but you know we were very fortunate that we were able to get our our most of our work done um i know there's a lot of colleagues of of mine that still haven't been able to to go out because of travel restrictions or um you know limitations on on gatherings or things like that but um so we also had to limit the size of our crew we didn't take as many people as we normally do yeah um but yeah luckily we were we were able to get the majority of it done how about you um it screwed everything up <laughs> we didn't get to do any shark tagging this year which really sucked for oh, everybody no. so you know and we shut our volunteer program down yep for the whole state so mm-hmm. no, i'm sure it's shut down for the end of the year for us anyway mm-hmm. um i know some i think some of it was open back up for some parts of the state but but um yeah i mean what what we do at work just take so many people right I mean, we usually have eight to ten people on the boat, and you can't do that right now. Right, so. yeah. Right. We could, but, you know, 
there's too many precautions precautions you'd have to take and even though we're on a big boat it's still hard to stay outside right stay yes. everybody away from here because we're pretty <laughs> much all working right in each other's faces and mm-hmm. everything else while we're doing right, that exa- so yes <laughs> um yeah but uh but yeah i mean hopefully next year we'll be back to doing that so boy i hope so and i hope next year we can get back to doing coastal brigade yeah, too because so that's i've really missed that this year yeah and um you've been instrumental in that and i've talked about that a bunch on this show and and uh um, and that just kind of goes right back to you and me and my wife and Michael and all of our friends mm-hmm. that help with that program, Oscar and and uh, everybody and um, why outreach is so important and and developing and kindling this f- you know fire in these kids' minds when they're younger and, and mm-hmm. trying to figure out what they're going to do for the rest of their life and giving them the opportunity to go out and. You see if the conservation route's what they want to do. You know, I mean, a lot of, a lot, a lot of the kids that we um, um, have come to these programs are already interested in the outdoors and stuff like that, and they're very passionate about it. And some of them are really passionate about it and doing things I would have never thought mm-hmm. at their age. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, these are 13, 14, 15 year olds, and uh, um, some that never really even been outdoors. And mm-hmm. mommy and dad mm-hmm. says you need to go to this program and and. Uh, um, but you've been instrumental in, in helping us, and uh, we would not have been able to do the last four years without you. So thank you for all your help with that and, wow. and uh, all the stuff that you do. I mean, you you come over, you fly over to Texas, you know, for like two weeks to help us with that program. So thank you. Twist my arm. But thank yeah. you so much for letting me be involved in it. I yeah. mean, I it's, I that is one of my actually my favorite weeks of the year is Coastal Brigade. Yeah. It's tiring, as you know. We all know. Those of us who are instructors, by the end of the week, we're yeah. uh, we're dead. But it's energizing, like you said, because we get to we get to light this fire. We get to be role models. We get to show um, these youth who are thirteen to seventeen years old that they can have a future. They can have a career mm-hmm. centered around the things that they enjoy. Yeah. There, there are, there are several career paths that they can take to to be able to do what it is that they love and just to see their faces light up at different things and um get to get to introduce them to so many different things that we do at camp it's just mm-hmm. amazing so i i thank you for letting me well, be part of it yeah it's a team effort so we got a good team we um, do. and it's funny because you know some of these kids and, and uh um have have came and are getting ready to go graduate from high school and go into college and i know we just had one that um, kind of flipped everything and and he um and is enrolled now in his first semester a m galveston and um had a couple others that wanted to switch to marine biology and stuff mm-hmm. like that and just because they came and and it kind of lit that fire um and i'm sure you have that same uh effect you know when you're going out and you do a lot of public presentations you know before this this year mm-hmm. um but you know now it's all virtual but you're still making a an impact you probably just don't see it i mean i don't know right. it's hard to rate anything from this year because you don't have any instant gratification or really can tell if you're visually making an impact mm-hmm. on people so mm-hmm. um it's definitely been tough from that aspect but um you the other way look as you have i mean doing so much stuff online and then you have ability to reach a lot more people true so it's, it's like, a trade-off. You know, it's yeah, a, it's right. Like, it's a trade-off. Yeah, um, and you have to adjust. It's not the same. You know, doing a presentation in person 
isn't the same as is doing one online. You got to adjust yeah. the messaging and uh, or or like this where you, you know you have to be more descriptive cuz cuz you're not there to show mm-hmm. everything to people. But yeah, you can reach more people. Um but I my gosh, I miss standing in front of a room full of people and talking about sawfish and showing my presentation and you know, I have real sawfish roster that people can see and come up and and feel and you know, a, a three foot replica sawfish um because so many people don't know what a sawfish is um so they can actually come up and and see see a replica of one um so oh my gosh i'm i really am looking forward to being able to be back in a room full of people yeah and this will air after this saturday but what is this coming saturday the 17th excellent question yes so every year on october 17th is international sawfish day uh this is our fourth year of having international sawfish day and usually we would have uh in-person events at, uh, you know, museums and schools and aquariums that Mm -hmm. uh, have sawfish. Uh, This year, of course, it's mostly going virtual. But, um, you know, it was developed because, you know, there's five sawfish species in the world, two that we used to have here in the United States, but five species around the world. Um, And all of the species are are, uh, in in pretty bad shape, Um, endangered or critically endangered around the world. Uh, the U.S. and and Australia are, are two of the um, places where you know there's a, a good enough population left for us to to try to save. Right. Um, but in a lot of the other countries, there's just not the not there's a whole generation of people who have come up not knowing what a sawfish is because they've never seen it uh, because mm-hmm. it's been gone for at least a generation. Um, and so for International Sawfish Day is a way for us to to um, uh, you know, reach a big audience, like you were saying, online, um, get people to know that sawfish exist, what they are, where they are, what they can do to help save them, why we should save them. Um, and yeah, so we have a lot of resources available online at sawfishconservationsociety.org, um, materials that people can download if they want to host events, um, virtual events, presentations. Uh, but we have a lot of activities for kids to learn about sawfish as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so hopefully next year when we are back and able to do things online, we have a lot of swag that we give out. Um, and we have, yeah, little and, uh, I'll try to get, I'll uh, get some from you and we'll do a giveaway, uh, when this comes out. Great. So oh, maybe perfect. We can, uh, we'll get a, we'll get one of the little, um, soft plush sawfish and yes. give that away. Oh, so that's a great idea. Yeah. yeah. We'll make a nice little so sawfish swag bag. Great idea. Um, yeah, yeah. So that'll be, that'll be good for somebody mm-hmm. and uh, maybe they can share that. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the outreach stuff's so important. Um, the research is, you know, kind of the the bread and butter stuff. But I think more and more people realize now it's like you gotta you gotta educate. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're not gonna change the way things are. I mean, you can do all the research right. you want, but if people are still going out there and mm-hmm. not knowing what this thing is, or right. and this is with anything, um, you know. This is I get so tired of telling people the difference between a spinner shark and a black tip shark. Mm-hmm. It's unreal. <laughs> so, I mean, so why do they have to be so right? similar? And the regulations in the first are place? different. Yep. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and the regulations are so different on them. And mm-hmm. uh, I can't even tell you how many people I've seen that brought in spinner sharks. You know, and yep. I think they got to be what sixty-four inches. I think. Or a black tips in Texas. In Texas, in yep. Texas. and then black tips black only got to be twenty-four. 24. So that's a huge, huge difference. Big difference. So. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, that comes back to outreach and education, you know, um, letting people know that there are fisheries regulations, why they exist. Uh, you know, not just telling people that they have to be 24 inches or 64 inches or 99 inches for the hammerheads, mm -hmm. but, you know, why that is. You know, we, yeah. we want these animals to be able to reproduce before we take them out. You know, why there's slot limits on, on some bony fish species, why there's seasons, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for flounder so that we, they can make it through the spawning season and things like yeah, that. And you, so and you mentioned the uh, um, season aspect and, and stuff. And uh, I know right now you all have got a moratorium on trout reds and snook here in Tampa. And I assume that's most of the area on, on this side of the coast yes. due to like the red tide and stuff. Yes. And, and, and that's one thing I wanted to talk to you about is... Um, there's so much drama that's been going on here in Florida with water politics and everything associated with all the fish kills and the mm -hmm. al algae blooms in the Everglades and stuff. Yeah. And how, I mean, that's all obviously had some kind of impact on these, on not just sawfish, mm -hmm. but all these species. Yes, yes. There's, <laughs> yeah, the big algae problem on the other coast, on the east coast of Florida, that's been a big problem. Like you said, water rights, especially from Lake Okeechobee, which, <coughs> um, you know, goes out into a river on, you know, each direction out Okeechobee. But, uh, but yes, we had a really bad red tide event here on the central Gulf Coast and even down to, into southwest Florida couple of years ago and and sarasota bay in particular was was really hit hard and mm -hmm. it was kind of a wasteland there so uh we were doing a project um colleagues with colleagues at new college uh looking at how sarasota bay is going to repopulate with sharks and bony fish you know where where are those animals going to come from that are going to repopulate mm -hmm. sarasota bay after that red tide um but even Everglades restoration, uh, you know, you think back to how Everglades used to be um, with with all this sheet flow that used to come down. But then we built uh, US 41 and 75, the highway that cuts through those, which which um, altered the freshwater flow into the Everglades. Um, and so there are certain areas of Florida Bay, for example, that get really hyper saline because they're not getting the freshwater flow right. that they used to. Um, now, the good thing about sawfish and the red tide in particular, um, you know, red tide um, can't survive in lower salinity waters. And so our juvenile sawfish, at least, and uh, they're born about two feet long. Um, and until they're about six or eight feet long, they're living in estuaries. They're living, you know, up in the bays, up in the rivers where the, the salinity is lower, where the red tide couldn't reach and survive. Mm -hmm. So, um Thankfully, at least for the sawfish, the red tide bloom, um, we don't think was a was a, a big well, factor for them. Yeah, luckily. And then, um, you know, the algal bloom is, is on the other coast where we don't have as, as many sawfish that we yeah. are aware of right now. But, uh, but yeah, there's, you know, uh, the, I guess the good thing about all of those problems and issues is that more and more people are becoming aware of the importance of the environment and conserving the environment and treating the environment well and um you know not dumping your waste um yeah in and the water and so not fertilizing you know red tide part of the big problem with the red tide is lawn fertilizer so there's communities that have moratoriums on fertilizing your lawns in the summer um so that doesn't you know it's just something people don't think about no I mean, no. that's what my wife, mm -hmm. big part of her job is working yes. on runoff, stormwater runoff, mm -hmm. and how much damage that can cause. Um, so, you know, with all that going on, a lot of a lot of groups have popped up, you know, helping kind of bring awareness to that 
that aspect, especially the water stuff, and I mean, that's become a huge issue. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, Captains for Clean Water and yes. you know, like you know, CCA and a lot of these mm-hmm. groups have really been working on that. And um, um, hopefully, every, you know, all these groups realize that you know everybody's working for the, on the same, same objective. goal, mm-hmm. basically. Yes. And um, so, I yes. mean, I was talking about it with somebody else. You know, it's like um, nothing's free. It takes money to play. So, you know, um, what are what are some of the ways that y'all are um, funding y'all's research and stuff? I think that's important for people to know mm-hmm. because, I mean, you're, you, I mean, you've got your own deal here, right? With your yeah. Um, so, you know, a big part of my job is finding the money to be able to do my job. Um, so everything that we do, our research is all done on grants through mm-hmm. you know, private foundations and, and institutions um, and donations. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we all know about fundraising. Right, so it's a, it's a big part of the job. You know, it re- you know, private organizations. It's it is a big part of the job is finding the money mm-hmm. to be able to continue your work and reporting on that money so you can get more money. Yeah, <laughs> it's that season right now. So yep. Well, if you're listening and you're looking for something <laughs> to donate to, you know, I mean, really, really think about, I mean, and not just Tony's project, but I mean, there's so many, um, if you're interested in the outdoors, I mean, everywhere mm-hmm. needs help, you know, and, uh, find something like that to donate to and, and reach out and become involved in and, and, um, you know, it's probably not the best cheer to do it right now, but one of the things that we're both always telling the kids at camp and, and I tell anybody I meet is, you want to get involved in the conservation world is like first thing you need to do is start volunteering. Yes. Get your foot in the door, especially if you're looking to make it a career because you're not going to get yes. in. I mean, you'd be the luckiest person on earth to go get a job right now if you haven't volunteered oh and worked gosh, your butt right. off to, to get the experience yes. because there's so many people, Yes. you know, applying for these jobs now. And, uh, I mean, we got people, you know, where, where I'm at, you know, PhDs and masters, you know, applying for kind of the lower positions mm-hmm. and stuff and the... It's it's incredible, you know. It is. So it um, is, and you know when when you you think about everybody graduating college in a given year with the same degree, they they all have they all go through the same. Not that many jobs to go around. Yeah, there's not that many jobs to go around, but everybody graduates with the same degree. But it's the skills that you acquire during that degree, the volunteering that you do, the the additional things that that you do for your professor or the researcher, the library, or, you know, the, mm-hmm. the Marine Mammal Stranding Networks or um, beach cleanups, you know, anything that you do, you make a contact you, with a person yep. at all of these events. And, um, you know, those referrals multiply when you do a good job. Yeah. You know, those referrals Yeah, because I've got some that I have not given good <laughs> referrals yeah. for. So. And, and you have to treat every interaction as a job interview because it might be, it might wind up being one down the road or, you know, you may apply for a job. Um, someone might, might apply for a job with you and use me yeah. as a reference uh, or, or vice versa. So you, yeah. have, you have to treat every interaction when you are volunteering places um, as a job interview because they could be. Just like my interview, I interviewed for the black tip job and didn't get it, but yep. it turned into the sawfish job for me. So life has a funny way of working it out. It does, yes. So yeah, and that's important. I mean, I worked my butt off in college, and uh, once I figured out really what I was aiming to do, you know, and initially I was going into law enforcement. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted to do: is be a game warden, and uh, quickly realized 
once I kind of got into that world of conservation, you know, through school and stuff at, at Oklahoma State, you know, I was much more um, excited about doing the research side and the, the technical, you know, hands-on field work and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I found what I, I found the group I needed to be helping mm-hmm. out, and I just started sucking up, and finally they let me help, and <laughs> that eventually yep. turned into a job paying whatever minimum wage, right. like four dollars an hour back then. And, oh my gosh! Right. And uh, and. Now I've been down in Texas for almost 17 years. So, Well, and you know, the same is true for once you do have the job. You know, for us, example, um, you know, it's been 15 years since we've worked together, officially worked Mm -hmm. together, I guess, probably. Um, But it's turned into all these other opportunities, like doing Coastal Brigade and and doing this podcast. It's, you know, so all your interactions. Yeah, I never knew I was going to do anything like this. This is just crazy still, (laughs) but... Um, hopefully it keeps going because I like yeah. doing it. So, um, right, you know, you're able to raise awareness for a lot of things, a lot of a lot of people. So that's that's a cool thing about these podcasts is uh, um, it's usually you know, I've talked to several different groups that I've done on the show and and uh, it's like man, this is a lot better than just like being on a radio show for five <laughs> minutes. I mean, you actually sit here and tell your story. Right. You know, mm-hmm. there's no time frame or nothing, and and. Um, so, you know, we really appreciate everybody that listens to the show and, and, uh, absolutely share it, share it, share it, share it. So, <laughs> um, so do you have, uh, um, any, uh, words of wisdom or other advice, you know, besides the volunteering aspect for, you know, people growing, you know, coming into this, it doesn't have to be just conservation, you know, and science, but I mean, there's so many more people now basically everybody's getting bachelor's degrees now i mean that's almost like a high school diploma now right and i hate to say and that not everyone it costs needs so much it. damn money yeah not everyone needs it um yep. you know yep. and uh, i don't get in trouble i mean i wish wish we didn't <laughs> i mean i wish it wasn't looked at like that way because there's a lot of people that you know that don't go to college that would be great in this field yes you know um but i mean kind of what's your take on on that so now that the neighbor's mowing the lawn, yeah. <laughs> we're almost done anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it it is hard because, you know, especially with, with state and federal agencies, they have a minimum requirement of what you have to have to have a job. Um, and most of the time, that is that you have to have a degree. Um, you know, other places, not so much. But, I, yeah. I mean, I guess my... My biggest thing is to to find what it is that you love doing because then it's all going to fall into place. You know, don't don't try to force yourself into something um, because one, you're not going to enjoy it. But you're you're just you know yeah yeah you got to do not what everybody's you love. made for a suit and tie. So Absolutely, that's definitely not me. And not everybody's <laughs> meant to be on a boat yeah. in Florida heat or the bugs of the Everglades either. So, mm-hmm. you know, that goes back to, to volunteering and interning. So, um, you know, I, I've had a lot of interns who've gone out on the boat and realized that they don't like being out on a boat. I'm like, that's okay. You can still be a marine biologist. You, mm-hmm. you know, you don't, everybody thinks they have to be scuba certified to be a marine biologist. I've never scuba for Me work. Either. I yeah. do it for pleasure, but I've never once done it <coughs> for work. So, um, you know, what's more important is that you know how to drive a boat or that you can trailer a boat um, launch it at a boat ramp. Um, you know, that's a pretty valuable skill is, you know, can I trust you with the boat to, to drive you somewhere? At a boat you know? ramp, <laughs> a public boat ramp for a couple hours, <laughs> you'll know why we're saying yeah, that. You'll know why we're saying that. So, you know, 
knowing how to drive a boat, knowing how to trailer a boat on land, launch it, you know, that's a that's a very valuable skill that most people don't think about, but um, <laughs> but is pretty important. Um, but you know, that goes back to, to volunteering and doing internships is that you're you're gonna learn what it is that you like and what you don't like. Not everybody likes getting up, like you said, at three thirty in the morning. Yeah. I don't mind it. I I mean I love being on the water during the sunrise. Yep. I love seeing the water, the, or the sunrise from the water. It, that is that is my, that's my church. That's my peaceful place. That it that's was, my calm is being so out nice there. It was so nice yesterday. I mean, we had manatees yep. all around the boat and and uh, everything before <laughs> daylight and and uh, um, and last night I was over at a friend's place and uh, um, they've got a bat colony. Mm. in the building next to where they're at and uh, he's mm. like watch this and i mean i mean we had uh i've never been to like the one in austin or one in downtown okay. houston mm-hmm. or whatever where all the bats come out but i mean we sat there for almost 10 minutes while these bats mm. were coming out of this building there's millions of them wow and i'll show you the video when yeah we get off. It, was, awesome. it was crazy i had to facetime my wife and the kids just so they could see it so um i mean just i don't know mm-hmm. i love being out and experiencing stuff like that oh and, me too and um good field to be in and the other thing that i would say is don't limit yourself um you know i always said i always knew i wanted to work on sharks but you know my first job was working on freshwater fish in oregon it was Mm -hmm. cold up there and it was freshwater fish um and then i worked at a fish hatchery um but every one of those jobs taught me skills you know working at the fish hatchery is really where i learned how to trailer because of the um Mm -hmm. the tanks that we would take you know to release the fish from the hatchery um so don't be so myopic that you're focusing on on one thing you know um even if you're working you know on a land animal tracking a land animal or or you know you're still recording data you're still learning the scientific process you're 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 still learning critical thinking um and observations so um you know yeah that's good. No, I mean, be open. I mean, yes. you're really not going to know if you like it until you do it. So, exactly. Um, but, yep. uh, but, but anyways, well, um, have you got any, uh, anything b- big coming up? I mean, as far as on the horizon, like research project wise, I mean, you start over the same projects again next spring. Uh, hopefully, um, you know, we'll see how <laughs> we have to see how, things are going with the virus and funding you know a lot of the funding sources are are limited with funds right now as well um you know so that's a big problem but you know hopefully we'll be back out on the water and um you know regardless i'll still be zooming to talk about sawfish if that's Mm -hmm. all i can be doing then then i'll be doing that but um and i would say if anybody has any any questions about sawfish or wants to know anything else um our website is sawfishrecovery.org um, or you can call me on the phone at eight four 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 sawfish. Nice, and um, tell people um, like I know you're on Facebook, Instagram. I don't know if you do Twitter or not. I am like on Twitter. Handles. Yes, <laughs> so. I am on Facebook at Havenworth Coastal Conservation. Uh, Twitter and Instagram. I am Coastal Elasmos. And go check it out. She's got some awesome pictures, and we'll we'll put a bunch of those up on the on the on the posts we do for the show on Instagram, Facebook, and then um, tag a bunch of that stuff on our show notes. And and um, 
Man, hopefully, I really hope somebody hears this and reaches out about collecting some genetic material. That would be really Me cool. Too. Yeah, so. we'd love to hear it if you have if you have a saw. And like I said, if you ever see a sawfish, if you ever catch a sawfish, if you're diving and you see one, or you're fishing, or you know you're hiking and you see one along the shoreline, no matter where you are in the U.S., we want to know about it. We want to hear it. Um, that helps us put a dot on the map. We have people that can respond to go try to to catch the animal, to tag it, so we can track mm -hmm. it. Um, so, yeah, uh, if you catch or see a sawfish, let us know. If you uh, own or see a sawfish rostrum somewhere, let us know. Yep. Well, um, thank you. Been a good friend for a long time for being on here. Um, thanks for your service in the military. Thanks okay. for everything you do for um, these critters. And uh, hopefully um, you'll be back over in Texas next summer. Hopefully. We'll catch some Astros games, and, mm -hmm. uh, and we'll have camp. We're having camp next year, so it's already on the books. So um, regardless, yep. that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> so yeah. uh, we yeah. were all excited because it was going to be our fifth year this year. And, and no. It's got uh, postponed. But, uh, yeah. But, uh, but well, anyways, thanks for so having me and letting yeah. me talk about sawfish. Yeah. So I think uh, I think we need to get off so we can go uh, finish watching the baseball game. Okay. So, all right. <laughs> thanks, Tonya. Thanks, Derek. All right, well, that's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much to Tanya Wiley for being on with us today. And uh, we really hope that you uh, gained some some valuable knowledge about sawfish and and um, kind of a different way to look at things um, from, uh, from a fishing perspective and a conservation perspective and, and the differences in those and, and uh, in ways that you can get involved. So... Um, we will post up all of Tanya's information on the show notes and then uh, we'll include that with our Facebook and Instagram posts and stuff and and um, maybe just maybe somebody out there knows um, someone that has some uh, sawfish uh, rostrums and, and can possibly get some genetic info to them for some research purposes so we'd love for that to happen and um, and hopefully it will so but um, thanks again for tuning in the show this week. Um, like, like we say every week, you know, um, the show grows by you. So like and share, um, subscribe on all the major plat platforms you can find these podcasts at. We're all over the place and can't wait to bring you next week's episode. So until then, um, have a great week and we will see you next time. Thanks. <laughs>